This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hi. This is Nichelle Nichols, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Aren't we all lucky? Let the midnight shine a light on me. Ed Robertson, along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen, as we remember the anniversary of the premiere of the Midnight Special in February 1973, and how the Midnight Special paved the way for network late-night television as we know it today. Before we went to break, we talked about some of the various musical acts that either appeared on or hosted the Midnight Special. Tony? And it was, you did have some very high-caliber comedic talent opening Mm -hmm. for some of the biggest rock and roll acts at the time. Billy Crystal and... And uh, these guys, they were, you know, they yeah. were the opening act. I believe the Bee Gees hosted the show, the Midnight yeah. Special, several times. Um, so you had that element involved, yeah. So the Midnight Special was on Friday nights, and then later on there was uh, when NBC got SCTV, which used to be syndicated. They yeah. had SCTV Network ninety, which followed uh, Johnny on Friday nights, yeah. and then uh, Friday night videos took that slot. Right. And, and then, then eventually Letterman became a five-night show. For, uh, uh, then eventually Letterman became a five-night show, and then I think this would be mid-'80s. Yeah. There were a few Lettermans in between SCTV and Friday Night Videos. There was a, a gap. Where yeah. I'm coming from is, uh, or what I'm bringing up, is the Bob Costas show. Later. Later. So that would that would run uh, either 1 to 2 or one thirty to two. And I believe that was a Monday through Thursday show, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I think but, the Bob Costas later was a little bit more reminiscent of what Tom Snyder had with the Tomorrow Show. Yeah, but that paved I mean, yeah. that, that franchise is still on one way. I think Carson Carson Daly, Daly and Greg Kinnear Greg had Kinnear it. Did Greg it. Kinnear made it an audience show. Yeah. Actually, well, Tom Snyder had Tomorrow Coast to Coast for a while, yeah. where they were trying to do a bi-coastal type thing. Mm-hmm. And have a live audience, and you know, I don't think that was his wheelhouse. And I think it morphed into the tomorrow that most of us think yeah, of. Yeah, but I think later with Bob Costas, kind of went back to what a one-on-one interview. Yeah, maybe one guest. Right. Uh, I I always remember it as, yeah. as just one guest. Yeah. yeah. Carson Daly did. You know, I think Carson Daly was basically bringing a lot of the elements when he was on MTV with yeah. Total Request Live. And uh, making it uh, much more uh, a younger. But the point the point is we wouldn't have we wouldn't have it was total request live with a desk. We, yeah, we, we we wouldn't have you know late night with David Letterman or Conan O'Brien yeah. or Seth Meyers. We wouldn't have later with Carson Daly were it not for the midnight special. Yeah, and it, I imagine in some markets when Johnny went off. So did the channel. Yes, uh, most know. definitely. It did. You would have you, you, you would played have the, the national, national anthem, anthem, and that would be and it. that was it. And yeah. no TV until the Farm Report, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which my grandfather used to watch in Defiance, Ohio. You know, yeah. and 
And we begin our broadcast day. Here's yeah. the farm report. Don't yeah. go outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it showed there, there, there was an audience on network television. I mean, this is, a, this is an example of counter-programming because other than that, you would have the Late Late Show. And back in 1973, you'd be showing movies that were from the 30s, at 30s and 40s, you know. At, uh, uh, so you're not exactly uh, targeting younger people, but younger people would be coming home on Friday night and they're still up or they may, they're, they're, they're not ready to unwind or whatever. And they turn on the television and there's something that's for them at uh, you know, 1.30 on Friday morning. Or I guess Saturday yeah. morning, <laughs> and yet the the local CBS affiliate out here they used to do the late show, so it didn't sign off, but it would, and they had like this corny jingle, you know, with the the logo, and yeah. just it was all these old movies, which for a lot of people, you know, for the insomniacs or the people just getting off of work needing to wind down, it yeah. was they would pretty, play the, they would play the syncopated clock, yes. yes. And all these things. With and apologies to Phil Grice because he plays that as part of his ATE. <laughs> no, I think that's that that's significant for for him. I, I remember uh, when I lived in Tahoe briefly, uh, and I was working the graveyard shift over at uh, Harris Tahoe in the Sierra restaurant, bussing tables. I'd come home, there were local hosts. Uh, kind of like an art fern, you know, remember from Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And they would either be showing movies or old TV shows. And, you know, this is when Nick at Night was something, you know, so you might have uh, uh, a block where in between, you know, a Night Dream of Genie and a Bewitched or a Welcome Back Cot or something like that. In between, it was a host. And he's telling you about all the local businesses. Mm -hmm. Car dealers, furniture stores, things like that. And they would just be over there. Yeah, you know, you need to stop by Phil's Discount Furniture. Tell him that I sent you over there. Ask for Phil personally. He's going to make you a good deal. The wife and I, we just bought a lo sofa loveseat set. And uh, we are just so happy with it. So please stop down over there. And if you mention uh, this show over there, he promises he's going to give you a discount and free delivery to your house. And, 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 and you know, that would be the, the overnight programming you'd have in these markets. Yeah, and, and go and, and go. Going back to our, our conversation of what constitutes a classic, if a, if, if a show or a film changes the way business is done, um, because you've got this 90-minute show on one of the networks showing that people are watching television at 2 o'clock in the morning. So therefore, if you want to stay competitive or if you want to try to get a piece of that audience – you now have to extend your broadcast day, yeah. Uh, even if it's showing reruns of you know Perry Mason uh, or, or you know or, or whatever. But I think when perhaps uh, these you know some of the in some of these metropolitan markets where they would sign off at two yeah. as opposed to midnight, you did have local talent who eventually was displaced by infomercials. Yeah, uh, and also like I said, art for the, the tea time. You had that tea time afternoon movie host who could be also, you know, the if it's the Today Show, he might have been hosting the local segment of that. In, in San Francisco, uh, the guy who hosted Dialing for Dollars was also the meteorologist on the 10 o'clock news. Yeah, so you'd have that guy, and then he would have, you know... And he hosted a children's show. Yeah. <laughs> and he could have hosted the horror show, yeah. you know, put on a black cape and uh, some fangs, 
and then he was well in San Francisco. That was another guy. But... Oh yeah, you had you had like the most mild mannered guy. In... We had Bob Wilkins. Bob Wilkins, who looked like he was going to sell you life insurance. He was. He was the. Uh, he was different because he was a horror movie host who did not dress up as a, in a wacky costume. Yeah. he looked like himself. I mean, he I mean, he looked he looked like Wally Cox because he was thin. <laughs> he had big horn rim glasses. And he spoke. He was. He had a big cigar, but he was very droll. And he would say he, he would and he would make fun of the movies. He would say, "Don't watch this. <laughs> this is a terrible movie." I love the gimmick. Yeah. I remember he'd come in and light a candle, and the whole place would lit up from one tiny candle. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember seeing him in in San Jose. I used to have relatives up there. Yeah, and I also remember like they would have like these cards that they would play at a drive-in movie. You know, which I, I, you know, when you're when I was that little, I couldn't understand. Is this like broadcasting from a drive-in movie theater? But it would be things like, you know, as they go to commercial, uh, please remember to remove the speaker from your windshield. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and what made him different yeah. is that, and, and the reason why he got away with saying, "Don't watch this movie; it's terrible," is he in bet- in between segments, or in some cases in between features. He would have these long-form interviews with Forrest Ackerman, who the man who published mm-hmm. Famous Monsters magazine, Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, because this is the early 70s at the beginning of the Star Trek convention phenomenon. And you would tolerate watching the creeping horror or whatever, or, or whatever really yeah, bad. I, I remember seeing – Cold of the Cobra. Um, some Godzilla movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you would you would tolerate watching that because you knew at quarter to one there would be the next segment of the Leonard Nimoy interview. Yeah. So it was, it was yeah that part. I mean we, we were you know before when we talked about classics. I mean we could do a whole thing on local. Yeah, talent. we should. We should do that one of these. And uh, I would love to see more stuff on that because that was part of our childhood. That's the reason why I think a lot of people our age love Svengooli. Yeah. Um, you know, Elvira was local talent in in L.A. and became uh, syndicated and blew up. Or even to some degree, jumping forward a couple of decades, what USA did when they did Up All Night. Up with, All Night with, with Ronda Shear. Ronda Shear and Gilbert. Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah. Because uh, it was I – mean, that, that was essentially the same thing – where I mean, the, uh, the, yeah. The, basically, well, what I was talking about with the guy from Reno telling you to yeah. go see Phil's Furniture. They were yeah. not showing horror movies. They were showing, you know, Porky, classic Porky's yeah. like movies. But uh, but at, but at this, not not necessarily high, uh, you know highfalutin cinema. But you would watch them because they would do comedy bits. Or in the case of yeah. you know, Rhonda, you would do the double entendres and see what kind of lingerie she was wearing that night. But that would keep you watching until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and Rhonda Shear, you know, was – and I remember Rhonda Shear from, uh, you know, stand-up comedy in the 80s. And yeah. Rhonda was always gorgeous. And that was a whole – you know, she she basically – her routine was being a, a, a real-life Barbie doll. And, uh, you know, she had – I think she had different variations of uh, of the shtick depending on the audience, too. She, we, we touched on this briefly when she was on the show a few months ago. Her book – she's got a great – she has a great book. And one of the reasons why I like her book – uh, which, which happens to be called Up All Night. In many respects, she's a conduit between the golden age of television and old Hollywood mm. and today because she worked with George Burns. She worked with Bob Hope. 
she worked with Chuck Barris. I mean, Ch Chuck Barris is one of was one of the first people that really took a chance on her. And there are a lot of great stories about old Hollywood and how that helped her shape her own persona and style as a as as a comedian and how and then eventually how that morphed into her brand of you know fabrics and lingerie and all that stuff so. yeah and she was just very nice super she, nice. very nice very helpful very encouraging Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. February 19th, 1978, Project UFO first aired. I believe that was the last show Jack Webb produced. Yeah, Mark 7 Limited. So you saw the uh, die being hit with the hammer and that famous sound effect that's been repurposed over and over and over again. I don't, it never didn't have the same longevity as other Jack Webb shows. It still had the same Jack Webb formula. I think partly because um, I think NBC put it on Thursday nights at 8 and it was up against the Waltons and which whatever was on ABC at the time, which I think was Barney Miller and whatever was on it. Yeah, and um, so it, it, I, would, I have, do. it would have run third. Yeah, and I remember a, a friend of mine uh, and I, which we loved, you know, Battlestar Galactica and, and uh, Space 1999 and all this. So we were looking at this, you know, from the science fiction standpoint, even though this was uh, much more... Serious, mm -hmm. uh, I would say it, it was a definite precursor to the X-Files. But this was based on an actual, this is, you know, Project Blue Book, which was the, the division of the Air Force that inve investigated unidentified flying objects. So this was not so much about, you know, little green men from Mars. This was about people reporting and the Air Force having to investigate. Yeah, as you would expect from a Jack Webb show. Yeah. And, you know, they did get into some of the close encounter elements. And there were also some conspiracy elements. Although I would imagine what got it on the air was close encounters. The fact that close oh, encounters yes. was... Yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, Jack Webb and Mark Seven were getting notes from the network saying, you know, wanting more maybe science fiction than science fact. Yeah. Uh, which I have seen happen in, in other shows when uh, now, they would try that, to... That, that said, as I recall... It was on, uh, it, yeah. It was it was on eight to nine. Had it aired, say ten o'clock, it might have that that might have been a better time slot for considering it was more of a procedural, you know. Versus, yeah. but we could do an hour on network programming decisions and how <laughs> no one will ever yeah. explain that. And there were, I mean, I watched it for the first season, and then yeah, I think that I had better choices. On one of the other networks. I remember yeah. watching Barty Miller. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so I know when, when the show progressed, they wanted, you know, like the actual characters to have their own yeah. personal uh, close encounter. And um, so I think kind of the tone was more like, yes, this is real, but there's a lot of BS also. And but there were really nice episodes where they would go to a town uh, where there was a UFO sighting, and they tried to cash in on mm -hmm. it. And so 
you know, this little kid sees a UFO, reports it, and then somebody makes a model, and they're doing... So you had, like, the, the entire town wanting to be a tourist destination because this is UFO City or mm-hmm. something like that, and, and they dispel it. And, you know, obviously nobody goes to jail or something like that, but you definitely have a disappointed Jack Webb lead character going, you know, not shaking his head. Yeah, and when when the episode ended, yeah, there was a little boy who really did see something. And so, some of them ended with these, like, sci-fi question marks, the end. You know, it'd, be, it'd always be kind of cool that... You know, the the little boy said, yeah, this is what I saw. I was flying my kite, and this thing came down. Uh, this th- All of a sudden, my kite catches fire, and the spaceship comes down, and this, you know, the, he describes the alien coming out and all that. And then they said, well, do you think he's telling us the truth? I don't know. And they're driving off. You see the scorched kite caught in a wow. power line. You know, so mm-hmm. you, would, you would have that, or somebody, um, I remember there was one where somebody, uh, they found, like, these these little orbs, at the site where the ship allegedly landed. And then uh, one of these investigative agents, not the Air Force, uh, tries to pick up one of these orbs and take it in his car, and the car won't start. And then he decides, I can't take this with me, and he goes to the edge of a ravine, rolls it down (laughs) the ravine, and the thing blows up uh, with a big sonic boom, and then he just shakes his head. Says, yeah, nobody's going to believe me anyway, and drives <laughs> off. You know? So you do have kind of so, yeah. those things. So it kind of goes to the premise. Yeah, this is real, but you know we got to investigate. And a lot of times, who, yeah. Who who was the lead? For some reason, I'm thinking William Jordan. I think you are right. You had a couple of leads. Oh yeah, William Jordan. William, Wh- William Jordan and Edward Winter. Also, yeah. Ed- Edward Winter, better known as uh, Colonel Trag on Mash. Hmm. Ah, yeah. Yeah, so William Jordan was Major Jake, who was it? Gatlin. 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 Alongside uh, Casey Swaim, who was Staff Sergeant Henry Fitz. And uh, so you, you, you still had kind of that 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 duo. Right. You know, the more senior person. Friday, high, you know, Friday and Gannon, Friday and whatever Ben Alexander's name um, character was. It was a very nondescript name. I'm thinking Frank something. But. Yeah, Frank. Was it Frank Smith? I think Frank, yeah, Frank Smith. Smith. That is it. Yeah. So you had that, or you know, even with Adam Twelve, you had the the, the, Reed the senior. Reed and Reed and Malloy. Malloy. You had the senior and the junior. Uh, this time you had you know, uh, officer and enlisted, but you still had the same. Uh, yeah, Jordan was replaced by Edward Winter Edward as Winter, Captain right. second, Ben Ryan. Second year, yeah. Yeah. So and Doctor Joyce Brothers appeared in two episodes. Yes, I see that. Yeah. So. Uh, as herself. I believe. I, did she ever play she, anybody else? Well, she did play another character in an episode of Ellery Queen. She was the decedent. And I forget the name of her character. I just remembered that, I think Claude Aikens played her. No, no, uh, Forrest Tucker played her husband. And Theodore Bacall was in that show. And, uh, no, it was, it was a good show. So, I love how... But, um, but yeah, she, she, occasionally, she occasionally played other characters yeah. besides Dr. George. I think but. what I attempted to describe as a, as a formula in the show, almost like a Gilligan's Island yeah. type thing, uh, I love how Wikipedia puts it. In an 
odd reversal of the Scooby-Doo dynamic, (laughs) the series eventually settled into a pattern in which the investigators would spend most of the hour uncovering some conventional explanation for a UFO sighting, only for the last five minutes to reveal that the UFOs, or some similarly unexplained phenomenon, were involved after all. I can't imagine (laughs) Jack... I, I can't imagine Jack... Web would 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 like be compared to Scooby Doo. No, but I think that I think I'm know, sure Scooby Doo would like being compared to Jack Webb, but yes, not the other way. But I do think that the I think Scooby Doo is a great analogy, just like Gilligan's sure. Island. You know, by the third act or the epilogue, the rescue screwed up. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think Star Trek Voyager relied heavily on that Gilligan dynamic. You know, that Gilligan conundrum. Yeah. Well, Star Trek Voyager was basically Gilligan's Island in outer space. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they had to. They had to have somebody. If they you know, made it, if they made it back home, that would be the end of the series. Yeah. No, very good. Yeah, that would be. Uh, which I always thought, you know, they they could make it home. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what was happening in the Star Trek universe at the time, it would have been a shift. Mm-hmm. People might have said they jumped the shark, but I think they could have made it home. Uh, and been in the middle of the Dominion War. Yeah, yeah, they were better off in the Delta Quadrant. Um, but I think uh, they could have. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, Deep Space Nine was syndication. Uh, Voyager was network. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, scheduling would have been a, a, a the big conundrum. Yeah, and they you can have c- characters cross over, but you can't have a crossover storyline. Uh, I think. Well, they tried that once. I think they tried that once, or, but, or maybe I'm thinking of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, because Deep Space Nine was on at different times at different markets. Correct. Uh, and I believe Voyager was on a Monday night UPN. On UPN. It was network, yeah. Yeah, so I think if you were going to have, let's say, an episode, start a story start on one and finish on another, like a lot of shows might do, you could because of the, the scheduling. Right, they would, they would not necessarily be on the same channel. Exactly. Yeah. So that would have been an issue. Lou Antonio will join us when we come back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Attention timeshare owners, this is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-715-6093 800-715-6093 That's 800-715-6093 Hi, this is Rhonda Shear, and you're staying up all night or day with TV Confidential. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. 
Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Uber is the mobile app that connects you with a driver for immediate transportation. Request a ride at the tap of a button and you have a driver curbside in minutes. You can choose to be driven in a black car, SUV, or you can choose UberX, the low-cost Uber for a ride in a hybrid or mid-range car. Payment is seamless and cashless. Build to your card on file with no need to tip. Enter the promo code TV Confidential after you download the app to receive a free first ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.